Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity and respect. And my guest today is an attorney, Barry Berkman. Uh, Barry, I think, is also on a similar mission to mine. He's a founding partner at Berkman, Botker, Newman & Rod, LLP in New York City. He received his BA degree from Harvard and his law degree from Stanford University. He specializes in matrimonial law and mediation and has guided many of his clients to successful, highly satisfactory out-of-court resolutions through the collaborative law process and mediation. Welcome, Barry. It's a pleasure to have you on Dialogue on Divorce. Hi, Catherine. I'm happy to, uh, to be here. I think that one of the real strong points of your career has been your role in bringing collaborative divorce, collaborative law to New York. And can you tell us a little bit about what and when you were interested in doing that and how you did it? Sure. I mean, I guess the genesis of the whole thing comes when I started as a, as a matrimonial litigator. That goes way back. Glad to tell the story. Uh, when I first graduated from law school, I went to work for a small general practice firm downtown. And this was, equitable distribution was passed in 1980. This was before 1980. And in those days, nobody wanted to practice divorce law. But people did it because, you know, it paid some of the bills. So what they did, it is a small firm. And what they did was they gave the divorce cases to the person who was lowest on the totem pole, which when I started was me. In my second day in the office, I was in family court, and it turned out that I liked it. So I, I started very early, and in those days, when you thought about divorce, you thought about litigation. Cases were almost automatically, often went to trial. And I tried divorce cases for about 15 years before I started to catch on that Nobody ever won a divorce case in, in the sense that the transactional costs were too high. By that, I don't mean just money, but I mean the toll that it took on the parties and, uh, and the real toxic effect it had on the kids. The kids always got the worst of it. Um, even without the custody fight, when their parents were fighting, it was horrible. And it was expensive. So I started to look for a better way to do things. In the early 80s, especially when divorce started to become big business once equitable distribution was passed. Lawyers started to find better ways. And uh, um, John Haynes started to give mediation trainings and took some mediation courses and started to mediate cases, which was a much better way to go than litigating cases. And it was, it was saving people a lot of money. But it wasn't perfect. And, and the problem was that very often, People who wanted to mediate, wanted to settle amicably, and yet weren't able to do it for one reason or another, often because there was a power imbalance. One person didn't know enough about finances. One person couldn't speak up for himself or herself. 
And in those days, it was usually the wife who had the brunt of the imbalance, because many more wives were not working in those days and didn't know the finances. So that left a gap, because it was the alternative adversarial negotiations or, or litigation. And Stu Webb, an attorney in Minnesota, noticed the gap, said there had to be a better way. Two saw that mediation had its faults. And he came upon this collaborative law practice um, where the attorneys I, the attorneys and the parties signed protocols that they're there to settle the case, settle the case in a way that's fair, that works for both parties, that honors the best of their relationship. And if they can't settle the case, those attorneys can't go to court. So there's a built-in incentive for the parties to settle. And Barry, how did you find out about what Stu Webb was doing? And Stu has been a guest on Dialogue on Divorce and is available. His radio show recording is available on the podcast, westchesterfamilylaw.com, on iTunes and SoundCloud. But what was it? How did you find out about it? And then how did you bring it to New York? Well, I was taking a lot of mediation trainings. And as it turned out, I went out to California for a mediation training. And many of the mediations, and this was at the center that you're that uh, you're working with now. And many of the attorneys taking the mediation training were matrimonial law lawyers who were working in the collaborative process. Several of them hadn't been to court for a couple of years. This was this was in the mid nineties. You know, it was it was amazing. They were practicing matrimonial law. They didn't have to go to court. I mean, you know, it could be better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, even the mediator lawyers in those days were going to court because there weren't there weren't enough mediations. So I took to it immediately. It, it looked like this was a, a, a terrific practice, and they were very generous with their time, showing me how it worked and everything. And I came back to the city filled with excitement, and I called up a couple of my friends, Elizabeth Rheingold and Mark Fleischer, and the three of us sat down and put together a plan, and we, in turn, brought in a few of our friends, and we all brought in a collaborative trainer, and we started the first collaborative group. And that, that group, Successors, is uh, alive and doing well right now. That was the start, and it's, it's grown, and I, I think it's it's a terrific process for those who can do it. Not everyone can do it, even there. You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, when I myself got divorced, my ex-husband and I were unable to mediate, and it was not because there was a power imbalance. It was because we really needed the support and structure of someone with us at the table, you know, and... We really needed that assistance, and it wasn't enough to have the mediator there for us. And we settled. This was certainly before I knew about collaborative and before I think it was really a thing in New York State and certainly in New York City where we were living at the time. But I do recall and that you know we settled in a very collaborative way. We never went to court. We settled in a conference room after a few joint meetings. And I credit my former husband's attorney with settling the case. And you know, and and I think that that. When I think about the experience of our collaborative clients, I think there is that element, you know, of trust and across the table in the other professional, as well as in your own lawyer and in that structure that allows people, you know, the container, a sort of container necessary that they sometimes need that mediation, you know, may not provide enough of. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Having two lawyers at the table with a mediative presence 
I mean, they're there to represent, protect their own clients, and they're there with a mediative presence and to provide structure. I, I couldn't agree. I, mean, it's, I couldn't agree more. It's really, it's vital and it helps the process and it helps people reach settlements that uh, they can be proud of. Often, not all the time. There'll always be enough conflict to go around. The died in the wool litigators need not worry, I think. It's a service that's there for people who are uh, ready and willing to take advantage of it and who don't feel the urge to beat each other up. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. This is Catherine Miller. We're here alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX, 1460 AM in Westchester, as well as at WVOX.com. And we're also available on iTunes and SoundCloud as a podcast, as well as on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com. And I'm speaking today with Barry Berkman, one of the New York founders of the collaborative law uh, practice, collaborative divorce. And uh, we're talking about what encouraged Barry to bring collaborative divorce to New York and his experiences working in that model since that time. And, you know, Barry, I think if it would be interesting if you'd be willing to share with our listeners, you know, some of your experiences or, or sort of comparison of what it's like from a client perspective working in the collaborative model versus the litigation model, because I'm not sure that people thinking about divorce really understand the differences in the choice of processes that they have. Yeah, no, no question about that. I mean, I, I think that's why that's why we talk in terms of a paradigm shift. So often, I mean, divorce is never a lot of fun. People say, well, it can be a learning experience and your life's going to get better. And divorce is a tremendously difficult period for people. And it's a process. It's not just something that happens. It's a process that's been going on for a long while. And when you're actually in the middle of it, it's really reached a point where where divorcing parties are under a tremendous amount of stress. And so they naturally experience themselves as pitted against each other. And that's the shift that we're looking to make, because is it really necessary to pit one against the other as in a zero-sum game, what you win, I lose, and vice versa? And as collaborative lawyers, we don't think so. And by modeling behavior that shows that there are ways to work things out that really do work for both parties, we sometimes, not all the time, sometimes you see this actual shift in the experience of the parties as working together to solve a problem that they have in common, as opposed to trying to beat each other up and um, do each other in. And what's your experience of the role of the law in the collaborative process as opposed to a more traditional type negotiation? And I really don't like the word traditional because it makes it sound kind of hallowed and, and you know, classy, but, you know, sort of the old, maybe old fashioned <laughs> is a better way yeah. to talk about it. But what's the difference? It's a great question because the, the role of the law, I mean, that's always the, ele- the law is always the elephant in the room. What, is, what does the law say? And in your traditional litigation, basically what happens is that you start with this game that all clients play. And the game is called My Lawyer Says. And uh, it goes, you know, my lawyer says that um, you've got to give me alimony in a huge amount for the rest of my life. And the other one says, yeah, well, my lawyer says that, you know, you we're going to show the court that you can be an Olympic shopper and that we've only <laughs> been married a short time. 
and that I don't owe you a flat dime. And it goes back and forth like that. So what happens in the end, people end up making large bets, and those bets are in the form of legal fees as to whose lawyer is right. And of course, the problem is that both parties lose because those bets are coming out of the marital estate. And so there's a shift of income from the divorcing parties to the uh, litigating lawyers. And it costs a fortune. So you have to ask yourself, how much of what you've worked for for the last 20 years, including funds that you probably put away for your kid's college, do you have to spend in order to get divorced? And it starts with so often with these differences in the law, where one party has been led to believe that he or she has entitlements or obligations, and the other party says, no, I don't have to pay you that. Uh, You don't have those obligations. Collaboratively, the lawyers can talk about that transparently, put it on the table, show where the differences are, take a look at how things are. The fact of the matter is, Laws in the matrimonial field and in New York in general are very indefinite. They're non-determinative. The state of the law is right now in equitable distribution. We all went to this Tippins course the other day where they talk about the latest update. The, uh, the answer is that we're in a state of chaos. So to accurately predict, and yet we can have a good sense of what a range is. And within that range, guide our clients to something that works for both of them. Which I, litigation goes the other way. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's really interesting because I I similarly left that course thinking, oh my goodness, we really have very little guidance as to how to answer some of the thornier questions, you know, and and whether or not we can make something that sounds like a very dramatic story or not seems to be the answer, right, with regard to what the outcome is going to be. But that's pretty flimsy, right? That's a pretty flimsy predictor. Oh, no question about it. Yeah. And so one thing that the lawyers can be a tremendous help to their clients is to, again, to cause this shift in things. That is the shift from, well, what does the law allow me and what am I entitled to, to within a range of what the law would probably say, how can we make this work for both of us? And at the same time, really protect the kids. Clients can make that shift. We can settle the case. And you know what's really interesting is that whatever the law says, even if they went all the way to trial and a judge made a decision after a trial, the clients, the parties to that to that litigation, to you know, a failed negotiation, are really going to judge whether or not the outcome is good or bad based on some other indicator, not the law, right? They're going to judge it based on their own sense of whether or not it was fair on whether or not it works for them, you know, whether or not they have to change their lifestyle, whether or not they can, you know, continue to do the things that they want to do and have the relationships that they want to have. And so I think... And also, by the way, whether or not it matches what they were told they could expect in the first place. Right, ex- exactly. I mean, from so, maybe their brother-in-law or their psychologist or their, or, uh, their lawyer. Absolutely. And so, you know, we're measuring all the times people do you know, against what's really important to us. And if we're really sort of able to focus the people on what's important to them and see if they can kind of find a resolution based on the criteria that makes sense to them personally, that may or may not make sense to a judge in another case or the legislature when they're coming down with a decision as to how or, you know, policy as to how these decisions should be made, you know, it all, it's like a full circle. Yeah, yeah, no question. And... Even in the collaborative process, it's tough because it presumes good faith. 
people are coming into it having lost a lot of trust in the other. And so it makes it a real challenge, both for the lawyers and for the parties. And yet it, it, it's doable with patients. This is Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm talking today with Barry Berkman about the collaborative process and his experiences in bringing it to New York. And Barry, if there are people listening who want to get in touch with you, have questions for you, is there a way that they can reach you? <laughs> sure. Well, our website is www.berkbot.com. We're at 212-867-9123. You know, Barry, we've been talking a lot about sort of the challenges of litigation, but there are challenges to the collaborative process as well. What, what do you think some of those are for people? I think first and foremost is the mistrust. Very often you have, just for example, one or the other parties has had an affair. People often, there's an inkblot effect to that. Well, I can't trust you in your personal life, in our personal life, so therefore I can't trust you in our financial life and can't believe anything you say. And the only way to do this is to go to court and have a judge decide. Coming in with an absence of trust, that's a hard barrier to overcome very often. One of the ways that at least we try to do it is we say, well, look, Let's let the documents decide. And we have, you know, financial experts come in and forensic accountants. And we really do a thorough job, no less thorough than if it were a litigation, really, of understanding the documents and making sure that the numbers are what they appear to be. You know, it's really interesting because Judge Sandra, retired Judge Sandra Miller, who was also a yeah, guest on the show, sure. said in her interview that litigation provides a false sense of protection. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no question about it. I mean, you, you, first of all, you, you're you're throwing your lives into the hand of someone who's busy, usually a little cranky because they're overworked and underpaid, and doesn't have that much time um, to devote the kind of attention that the case deserves. So, I mean, and you look at some of the results, and there's so many, so many inconsistencies. And it depends so much on which judge or which department you're in. But yeah, it couldn't agree more. And with regard to sort of that sense of mistrust and what leads people to say, well, you know, we're going to follow this trail for this spending or this, that or whatever, you know, all the way to the bitter end. You know, my experience is that you actually get more information in the collaborative process than you do in the in the in the formal discovery process, you know, the inf formal information gathering that goes along with the litigation practice, you know, especially when there's maybe something that isn't, you know, maybe entirely kosher. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. I mean, part of the collaborative process is that we try to meet, hopefully, relatively frequently. And just the idea that you're meeting, that the discussions are less formal, that there's not a court reporter there, that, that you're actually having a conversation I think little by little, there's a, a loosening of the guard, a, a, a maybe not quite as much defensiveness. You know, you know how parties do a litigation; they start, they become very, very defensive, and because they're so defensive, they then become aggressive. I think the collaborative process, particularly when the lawyers model the behavior, and you're having an actual conversation, a real dialogue about what's going on. Little by little, you can see, you can see this subtle shift 
where maybe there's not complete trust, but at least there's a lot more openness. And you probably end up with a good bit more information than you might otherwise have, and helpful information, too. You know, so, you know, one of the things you're talking about, I think, is a sort of a different role of the lawyer. And, you know, I think we lawyers have a bad reputation, you know, on so many fronts. But I think that one of our reputations are for being sort of aggressive and arguing, and that's kind of expected. You know, in your opinion, does arguing work? <laughs> not, not in the slightest. I, I try not to speak in the Let's say we, we call it the persuasive uh, tense. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think arguing works. I think arguing is a disguise for looking for support, maybe, or or for trying to get closer. But I can't remember a time where I've argued with the opposing counsel, and someone has actually said as a result of an argument, "Oh, I guess I'll change my mind." No, I think you have to look at your clients and see what's important to each of them. And together work out a way that works and, and, and is fair. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the integration of non-lawyers into the collaborative process, how that happened in, G- in New York and what your experience has been of working with non-lawyers to help people get through the divorce negotiation. Yeah. I, I mean, it's tremendously helpful. I, I mean, starting with the kids, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so helpful to have an experienced child specialist or a parent coordinator, whatever name you want to give to that person, where people who are genuinely at odds as to what's best for their kids and really do want what's best for their kids, having someone with experience who understands the divorce process and really understands what the parties themselves are going through and the difficulty of reaching an agreement where there's been a you know a huge shift in roles have someone who fully understands that to assist the lawyers in reaching a resolution would be tremendously helpful. That's with the kids. And then with the finances, yeah, actually have a professional who can sit down with you in addition to your lawyer to help you really understand what the numbers mean, what the consequences are of each decision so that instead of simply viscerally saying, I want more, you can understand what your budget is and what each financial asset consists of and how it should be divided and what and what the consequences are of the division. I find these people tremendously helpful. And yes, it can be expensive. And is it worthwhile? Oh, certainly it is. I, I mean, the comparison between that and the litigation, I mean, you're talking about spending 10, 12 times as much in a litigation. And in New York, that can be quite a lot of money. Easily. Yeah, I mean, you so often see six-figure legal fees in New York, and, and, and uh, it's, it's the starting to become seven figures. So, sure. That's a lot of money yeah, to spend on getting divorced. Well, that's right. And maybe it could be better spent uh, sending your kids to college. Probably so. Barry Berkman, thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. It's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's really good talking to you, Catherine. Thank you.